Well, good morning. My name is Eric Ash. I'm honored and grateful to be the pastor here at Grace, and our mission is to create a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace, and it's good to be here and worship with you. Hopefully, everybody got a bulletin when you came in. It's chocked full of all kinds of information this week, especially, and all kinds of events, it seems like, just all right in a row. So make sure you stay abreast of what's going on in that uh, you can update your contact information. Make sure you fill out the Connect card and register your attendance and just so we know you're here and when you're not here. And it's also a great place to, to submit your prayer requests. It's really my honor and the staff's great honor to be praying for each week. I, you know, I, I, I have a whole process that I go through each, each morning. I get my breakfast and I, my prayer time and my chair. And, and it's just my honor to be praying for you guys each and every week. So we take that very seriously. And I know the staff does as well. So today we're continuing our series, Illuminate, where, where Jesus invades the darkness of the world of the first century, but also the darkness of our current world. And, and uh, you know, when we begin something new, maybe a new business or a new group or a ministry, many times we, we look at that and we kind of get our, get our ducks in a row and we, we decide, we start by crafting like a vision statement or a mission statement or a value statement or all of those. And we begin something new, we, we put a stake in the ground, and, and we state our intentions of this is what we're going to do. And I was thinking this week that uh, you know, if we were first century ministry growth experts, consultants, you know, what would we tell Jesus his mission statement should be? Any ideas? What would you tell Jesus his mission statement should be? What ours is, creating a community. Okay. Jesus, you'll, you'll see this. 2018. It's a good one. Any other ideas what, what you might tell Jesus and say this, is, this should be your mission statement? Now, not to spread the word of God. Good. I was just about to chastise you a little bit because, you know, 930 had like <laughs> hundreds of ideas. You know. <laughs> Maybe not hundreds. Spread the word of God. Okay, good. Other ideas? All are welcome. All are welcome. You said that one last time. That's, that's good. Yeah. What was the first part? Winning souls for Jesus. Thank you, Janine. There you go. Creating a place where all can receive his transforming grace. That sounds familiar. Good. Good. Anything else? Any other ideas? Well, we're going to pick up with Luke chapter 4, and we're, we're going to see what I think is Jesus' mission, vision, and values. He's going he's gonna to put the stake in the ground. He's going to state his intentions and say, this is what I'm going to be about. Would you stand as we continue in worship? All right, I'm going to invite you to put your seatbelt on because we're going to move fast today. Got, I got more material than we got time, so we're going to go as fast as we can. And already a lot has hit the cutting root floor, but hold on. So our scripture is Luke 4 and beginning in, chapter, in verse 14. Uh, Jesus returned in the power of the spirits to Galilee. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He 
He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, Today, today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the synagogue in the first century was, was, the, it was a group of people, it was an assembly, it was a community, and, and just like the church, it was also a building. It was an institution, a community building, sometimes used for a school or, or a meeting place in a courtroom. This uh, here is a, is a um, replica of the synagogue in Nazareth. This is called Nazareth Village in, in uh, Israel, kind of like uh, the, the Holy Land experience in, in uh, Orlando, but for Nazareth. And uh, you can see it's very simple. This was the first century uh, synagogues, and they got more elaborate as after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. But you can kind of see along the edge, you have some some seating there. It's kind of like stadium seating there on the edge with the concrete or the limestone. And that was for the, the upper level, upper class folks to sit there. And then the more common people would sit on the floor there in the center. And you can see in a distance, there's a little table. And we'll go close up on that table. And that was the simple little table where, where the scroll would be sat for the reading of the scriptures. As again, as the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, these, these synagogues got more and more and more elaborate, and there would be special places for the, the roll, the, the, the scroll to be set, a special place for it to be stored within the synagogue as well. And that still carries on today in our own synagogue. And then underneath the table, you can see a little seat. That is the place where Jesus sat down after he read the scripture. And uh, we know these things about the synagogue because we've done some excavations. And one of the best excavations we did was in the city of David in 1913. Now, the city of David is, is southeast from where we see the kind of the temple. Now, when you see the, the mosque with the, with the golden dome on top of Jerusalem, think south and west of that. Is that is where the city of David. This is where David was king, where his palace was. That was the main part of Israel in David's time. And they did some excavations, and they discovered a first century pre-destruction of the temple uh, synagogue. And there was an inscription, and it said that it, the purpose of the synagogue was for reading the Torah. That's the book of the law, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures. Teaching the commandments and providing lodging for the travelers. And then after the temple destruction in 70 AD, uh, 
synagogues took a little bit different focus, and then they became more of a place of worship only, place of prayer strictly, and they were all then built at that point then time to face Jerusalem in order that they would pray facing Jerusalem. Before the temple destruction, they were facing all different directions. So it took a little bit of a change after the temple was destroyed. And on the Sabbath day, what would happen, the Sabbath day began on Friday at sundown. They marked their days by sunrise, sunset, rather than kind of what we do with, with the timing of midnight. The synagogue leader, the synagogue assistant, would blow the shofar to signal that it was the beginning of the Sabbath day. And he would know it was the beginning of the Sabbath day when he saw the first three stars in the sky. And he would blow the shofar, this, this ram's horn, it kind of sounds like a... a uh, uh, bad trumpet, and uh, then that would mean that everyone would gather around for the Sabbath meal. They would go into their homes, and they would gather around for the Sabbath meal that was already prepared because they cannot do any work on the Sabbath day, and they would just go, and they would eat together. The next morning, they would head to the synagogue, and they would begin their time of worship. It has, they have a liturgy, similar to we do, an order of things that they follow, Part of it was some prayers, and then they would have a reading from the Torah, the law, and then they'd have a reading from the prophets, that was called the Haftarah, and then they would have a short sermon called the, the Rasha. So we see this kind of pictured in this, this story with Jesus. We don't see the reading of the Torah, but Jesus is the one who is selected to read the prophets. And then he's the one also who then sits down and delivers the sermon. And the person reading could be anybody, any adult in the community. And they set up a schedule, sort of like we try to set up schedules of when ushers serve and when Sunday school teachers serve and that kind of thing. They had a schedule of adult people in the community and when they would read. So it just happened to be Jesus' time to read. And they also had a schedule of what was to be read. Same thing that we do in the church. Right now, we're following what's called the lectionary, we, the Revised Common Lectionary. It's been around for hundreds of years, and uh, it's a three-year cycle that takes us through most of the highlights of the Bible. Our text today, around the world, people are using the gospel text of Luke 4, 14 to 21. Not every church does that. We haven't done that. Uh, we just started this in the last couple of weeks as a trial, and um, but this is what it was like also in the synagogue. There was a prescribed, scheduled reading, and this happened to be the reading that Jesus had was Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58. So he was given this scroll, and he looks to the scroll and, and finds the place where he's supposed to be reading, and he reads. He places the scroll back to the synagogue assistant and has a seat, and he delivers the darasha, the short sermon. And it's more, more uh, dialogical. You know, there's going, going back and forth. There was, it was more like a big Bible study. Jesus would, would tell what he was going to say, but then people had the opportunity to go back and forth in, in their interpretations as well. And Jesus read these scriptures from Isaiah 61 and 58, and people were excited about this. Because they were looking for a Messiah. We've talked about this since Advent, that they were waiting for a Messiah. They wanted to be saved from this Roman oppression. And they were looking for it. And Jesus, in this particular reading, was delivering that that they wanted. 
there's some pretty bold statements by Jesus. I mean, he opens up in that, that scripture from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. I mean, if I got up here and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and the Lord has anointed me, be like, yeah, I'm not so sure about you, Eric. You're a little cuckoo. And then he goes on, and this is an even bigger one. If I did this, today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. I mean, he, he's putting a stake in the ground. He's making, he's making a moment of truth. It's almost like he's, he's, he's summing up his, his whole life purpose, his, his mission and his vision and his values there. The Lord has anointed me to do these things. And in this scripture that I read, it's been fulfilled by me. And then he goes, boom, and he drops the mic. And I can just imagine in, in the synagogue, there's the, it's like holding their breath like, what just happened? What is going on? Is he saying what we think he's saying? And after the air, the tense in, in intensity dies down, the next verse says that everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by his gracious words flowing from his lips. And then they said, isn't this Joseph's son? So they're, they're amazed by what he's saying. And they're, they're happy because Jesus is making these very bold statements. But it's exactly what they're wanting to hear. They want to be freed. They want to hear good news because they view themselves as poor. And, and they want to be released because they think they're prisoners and they're being oppressed. They want this year of the Lord's favor to come. And they're ecstatic right now. But this is a two-parter. Next week, we're going to look at the next six or seven verses. And quickly, in a couple verses, they're not so impressed. They're not continuing to rave and be delighted by what Jesus is saying. It takes a quick turn, and all of his admirers soon are not. So if you want to know, you can read ahead if you want to know what's coming next week. You know, knowing our mission, vision, and values helps us as a, as a people, an individual, and as a people group or as a business to keep our priorities straight, to keep our principles straight. And, and Jesus, I believe these are his mission, vision, and values. He, he says that God sent me to preach the poor, preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners. The, the Israelites, they thought they were the poor. They were the poor in many times. They were being cheated by the, the Roman soldiers. They were being cheated by the tax collectors. The Romans had their thumb on them. Yes, we had Pax Romani, but that was because we had peace, because we had the Roman government had their thumb on their entire empire. That's how they had peace. It wasn't just like, ooh, everything's good and jolly. You know, if you stood up against the Roman Empire... Boom, you're down, and then you had peace because you were out of the way. To proclaim release to the prisoners, to proclaim a re recovery of sight to the blind and the disabled, to liberate the oppressed, and I very much identified with the oppressed, and then to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Some translations you'll hear this called 
the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was, was every 50th year was kind of like a restart year. The fields where people planted were left fallow. They were there to rest on the 50th year. Debts were forgiven. And, and over that 50 years, people would accumulate debt that they couldn't repay, nothing like our current, our current society, have debt that they couldn't repay, and the only thing that they had was this, this family land. And this land was meant to be passed from family to family. You could sell it within your family, but in desperate situations, they went and they sold it to people outside their family. But on the Jubilee year, all of that land went back to the original family. It was a, it was a restart. It was a clean slate. So those who had been caught in poverty had a chance to pull themselves out. And everyone was put on an equal footing. So to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Israelites were excited about this coming. This was great news to them. They'd been waiting for a Messiah to come and do these things for them. And Jesus is coming at that moment in the first century to shine, shine light in the darkness of poverty and imprisonment and, and disability and oppression. And for hundreds and thousands of years, even back to Abraham, God has been telling, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to nations. Bringing them up out of Egypt and into the, into the wilderness and into the desert, he said, I'm going to set you apart as priests. You're going to be a you're a great nation, you're going to bless other nations. And the Lord was with them through that and took them into Israel, into the promised land. And, and then they kind of went wayward and they were exiled. But the prophets, hundreds and thousands of years of the prophets, were continuing to remind people as signals and guides. You remember those words? We've been talking about signals and guides for several weeks. I, don't, I can't quite lose the idea of signals and guides. These prophets were signaling that this is not right. We need to go back this way. Turn back to God. And they were guiding them back to God. The prophets were signals and guides. And this quote, this text quoted from Isaiah, goes on to speak of this, that Israel is called to be a light to illuminate the nations. And friends, I think this text tells us to do the very same thing. The Holy Spirit was directing Jesus, and the Holy Spirit gives us something to do for God as well. To know our mission and to understand what God has given us to do are as important to us as they were to Jesus. You know, people are always saying, you know, well, how, how is the church doing? How are we doing as a church? And, and often that's kind of like code language for, so how's your worship attendance and How's your giving? It's really kind of like, are people coming to worship and are they giving enough for you to pay your bills? That's really kind of the code language for how the church is doing usually. I'm going to a conference this week. Even amongst the preachers, it's like, so what's your average worship attendance? What's your budget? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, many of them don't really, you know, in these little pithy conversations at the, at the buffet, was, you know, they don't really want to know, well, Tell me about your church. Oh, well, do you have time to sit down for an hour? I can tell you all about the church. And Well, no, I just want to know if I have more people coming and we have a bigger budget than you. We're, we're very spiritual people many times. 
But the real question should not be that. The real question should be, as a church, are we doing, what are we doing for God? What are we doing for God? And whatever we take to be the heart of the gospel message will be the central shaping force in our life of faith as individuals and as a church community. Today's passage tells us that we learn that what Jesus came to do. And this should be the measuring stick upon how we evaluate our lives as followers of Jesus. The word Christian actually means little Christs. So if we are to be truly be Christians, we, we are to be made into little Christs, to be made, uh, to become like Jesus. And if this is his mission, vision, and values, then it should be ours as well. What, what you and I have before us right at this moment is, is a moment of truth, is a stake of the ground moment. We can decide to, to leave this scripture alone and ignore it, or we can choose to initiate it by living out the covenant that was made at our baptism. At our baptism, either by your parents or on your own behalf, a covenant was made. And that wasn't just a nice little thing, we're going to drip some water. That was your commissioning into mission into the church. In the same way that Jesus, a couple weeks ago, we talked about was his commissioning. So we can ignore this scripture and do nothing about it and kind of focus on the mission, vision, and values that we want to have, or we can choose to be serious and imitate it by living out the covenant that we made at our baptism. To do this, we must follow the light of our guide, Jesus Christ, and not get distracted by all the other shiny lights that are out there. All the other shiny lights out in, in our community, in the world, and all the other shiny lights, frankly, that are in the church. There's going to be lots of good shiny lights of things that in order for us to follow Jesus' mission and ma vision and values, we're going to have to say no to some good and great lights that are happening inside the church and in the community to stay focused on what God is calling us to do. So inside uh, your bulletin on the back cover, we have what we interpret this to be like for us at Grace Community. Our mission, this, the reason we exist as a church, that we are disciples of Christ, creating a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace. And then we live by our core values. These define who we are and how we participate in community together with one another and with the world. We believe that all people are created with inherent worth and value. All people are called to discover and embrace their inherent worth and value. And the church is called to create a community where all people can discover and embrace their inherent worth and value. And we do that through a strategy. The ways that we move forward with our mission and our vision is through connecting with one another and connecting with God, growing our faith, and serving here in the church and beyond. Very simple. Connect, grow, serve. You might notice those things on the wall as you walk down the hallway. And then, doing those things, how we see God's preferred future lived out is our vision, that if we live those things out, we'll be making God's grace a reality to all people. 
I love this next statement. This is not original to me. As Grace Community United Methodist Church is creating a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace, lives from its core values, and becomes people who connect, grow, and serve the Holy Spirit. Catch that. The Holy Spirit, not us. The Holy Spirit will fulfill the vision of making God's grace a reality to all. It doesn't excuse us. We still have work to do, but the Holy Spirit is going to guide us, just like the Holy Spirit guided Jesus into Nazareth and was with him. The council has also worked through what we call our essential DNA, what we're committed to as a church, and you can see that there. And, and then we have 2019, our focus and our goals. We call that thing the big serve. And our focus and our goals are around a couple things. And uh, one is to increase our serving rate. We, we did a little survey, and we, we found we have about 273 people, adults, that call Grace home. And some are, some are here, you guys are, are here each and every week, and, and some are a little bit more, uh, come a little more occasionally. And uh, we figured out that 69 out of 273 people are serving regularly as an usher, communion server, children's ministry, family promise, ministry of hope, all those things. That's about 25%. I'm, I'm not, we're not going to evaluate that number. I have no, nothing to evaluate that with. But our goal is we're going to increase that. We're not setting a number. We're not setting 50%. All that would be really great, you know. But we're going to increase that number over this next year. And there's lots of places that we can get involved and we can serve. There's been a, a did you notice, and if you go to the bathroom, there's a sign on both of the bathroom doors that Children's Ministry has some spots open. I encourage you to talk to Mark. I don't know how, how many have been filled, but they have some spots open. They need some people. And I'm sure Greg could use some help, too, and put some folks to, to work if you wanted to serve in youth ministry. Family Promise is coming on February 17th as our next host week, and that information is up on the Ministry Mission Center board as you leave. Or you know else you can sign up for that? On the Hub. You guys are really, you guys are so much more with it than the 930 service. And I don't say that to every crew. So serving inside and the church and with our mission partners. And then we said we, we want to launch our first campus of dinner church, and we're well on our way to that. We've got a short list of locations. We're on target to launch in March, and we're having next Sunday after church a luncheon and a, a kind of getting-to-know event. You can come and find out more about dinner church and be trained and be ready to go. We're going to be in the B rooms. Lunch will be served just let us know you're coming by visiting the hub. And uh, you're going to learn all you want to know about Dinner Church. It's getting exciting. We've almost got the location. We've got a team together. We've, we're really excited about what Dinner Church and it's at least launching one location. But the vision is for five or six locations so that in our neighborhood, in our community, anybody can experience Dinner Church every single night of the week. Then we have our our partnership with Pineville Elementary School. And we, we've been dipping our toe, and we've been doing some things, and, and we've got our, our, the ball rolling. And so we're going to be launching and, and growing that each and every day, each and every month, to help them. Basically, we want to go to them and say, how can we help? 
and they tell us how we can help. A couple weeks ago, that meant going and helping out with the Winter Wonderline Festival and chaperoning and watching kids go on the slides or serving hot dogs and drinks, whatever it took. But we're going to continue to cultivate that. Now, friends, um, I want to give you some facts. So 273 folks that we said kind of are with us. We've had these big serve forms. You've got these forms in there again. We've got a lot of stuff in the bulletin this week. This is where you can kind of put your commitments of what you already do and what you would like to do to help us live out our mission that is, is our fulfillment of what God is telling us to do. And uh, I'd like to say we have hundreds of these. We have 30 of these that have been turned in, and we've, we've put it in I don't know how many times. So that's not to, no judgment. I'm just saying this is not for us to count how many papers we can collect so Peggy can have some data entry work. This is so that we can be called to go and fulfill this mission and vision that God has put on this church's heart. So I'd encourage you to take some time to fill it out. Fill out the things you're already doing, too, so we can keep data, records of that. You can do that today. You can put it in the, in the basket. If you need another form, they're right back there on the table. Or you know what else you can do? You can go to the hub and do it in your pajamas, which is my preferred method for signing up for anything. Sign up and pay at the hub in your PJs. But seriously, this is, this is what, what the church council has, has discerned that God is calling to us this year so that we can, can mirror the ministry of Jesus of proclaiming and preaching good news to the poor and, and proclaiming release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and liberation to the oppressed and the year of the Lord's favor. And we're going to get more into that next week and see what happens with Jesus. But this is what God is calling us to do, and, and we need the whole body to be helping with this. I'm going to leave you with this story as the band comes up. It's a great story. 1947, winter time in Paris. This abbot named Pierre, and he was known as the modern apostle of mercy in, in Paris to the poor people. And one night he found a young family out on the streets, and they were homeless and they were destitute. And he gathered them up together and he, and he brought them to the monastery. And the monastery was already filled up with poor and outcast people. And he was looking around for a place to, to set up their makeshift beds for this family. And there wasn't room in the regular rooms. And so he promptly took them to the chapel. And he promptly removed the reserved sacraments where the Catholics in that monastery, that many removed the sacrament of Holy Communion and, and the wine and the bread. And he took them up to an unheated attic and put them away so that he could make space and room for this family to sleep in the heated chapel. And the other monks, they were outraged. They expressed their deep concern for his irreverence of what he was doing. But the abbot replied, and catch this, Jesus Christ is not cold in bread and wine, but he is absolutely cold in the body of a little child. Did you catch that? Jesus is not cold in the, in the bread and the wine, 
but he's cold in the body of a little child. He's hungry in the body of a family that struggles with food scarcity. He's dismayed in the emotions in the mind of a student at Pinecrest who's struggling and can't get the help he needs. He's in the mind of a teenager or a, child, or, or a child in the children's ministry who's struggling with some stuff and just needs an adult that will spend some time and listen to him and hang out with him and play with him. Because you know what? Our, 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 our kids, our kids have everything they need for the most part, right? I mean, they have everything they need to live. What our kids are missing in our lives is us. Time with an adult who cares about them and wants to listen to them. Christ is not, it is, Christ is found in these elements, in, in, in the, the sacraments. But Christ is more concerned with the cold and the hungry and the naked and those struggling emotionally or, or mentally who just need us. That priest knew his mission was not to be a protector of the church building or its rituals or its sacraments, but to open the church doors to those whom Christ made it his mission to serve. And we are called to know our mission, and it will light the path we are intended to take. But the question before all of us is, is are we willing are we willing to make adjustments in our lives individually and as a church community to accomplish God's mission? And the question for all of us, how will you, how will I, how will we use our time and talents to fit our personal mission into the mission of grace community? That's the question, friends. Are we going to take this scripture that Jesus talked about from Isaiah we can take it seriously and deal with it, or are we going to ignore it and just keep on keeping on? Would you stand as we continue in worship?
the part of the scripture that uh, Jesus began to, to quote in Isaiah 58. He was talking about worship that's acceptable to him. You know, he's, a, he's interested in us. It's important for us to gather here and to worship, and, but it, there's something more too. And Jesus said, This is the worship I choose, releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated, and breaking every yoke. It is sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your homes, covering the naked when you see them and, and not hiding from your own family. Then your light, then your light will break out like the dawn and you will be healed quickly. Your righteousness will walk before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Your light will break out like the dawn. Your righteousness will go before you. And he says, the Lord has your back. So friends, let's go and be a light in our community. And be signals and guides pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. Let's go and be what God wants us to be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen.